You're listening to the Gateway Franklin Church Podcast. To learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, including our service times here in Franklin, Tennessee, visit us online at gatewayfranklin.com. And now, here is this week's message. All right, when I bring this out, this is the oldest standing um, illustration that I have at Gateway. And... um, but I need help, and Tyler, I don't believe you've ever seen the fence, have you? So you made the mistake. You sat on the front row. <laughs> come on, come on up. You can get up that way. I'm gonna grab, I'm gonna grab the keys, Mike, guys. All right, well, don't pick it up yet. All right, now, pick it up. All right, and you're a big, strong, strapping young man. Was that difficult? No. No. Pretty light? Yes. All right. So, so tell me what your day would have looked like if you woke up and you had to carry this fence with you through the, your morning routine and getting here. What would that have looked like? It would have been annoying. <laughs> so um, I don't know what you drive. How, how, how would you have driven... How would you have a Jeep and fit in the back. You have a Jeep. Fit, no, no, you, you can't put it down. It? No, no, yeah, it's, it's your fence. I, mean, I can okay? drive out the window with it. All right. All try right. and rock it. All right. All right. And how, if, how long could you carry this fence before it really kind of got annoying to you? Did seriously, like 10 minutes. 10 minutes. <laughs> like, All right. So if you had to carry this for a week, that would be? A, yeah. Okay. It'd be a thing. It'd be a thing. Um, a month. No. <laughs> can, can, you even, can you even imagine what it would be if you had to carry this fence for a year? No. It, <laughs> right? I mean, it's, that'd be a, I'm not going to be able to hold it here for five minutes. It's getting heavier and heavier. Well, I, I actually need to stand up here through that the whole sermon. <laughs> the whole okay. sermon. Okay, cool. We're doing this, guys. Uh, all right. And then, so just obviously hypothetical, right? You've been carrying it a month. And you came in today, and I said, oh, okay, Tyler, you could actually put it down now. What, what would that, how would that make you feel? If you had to carry it a month, and I came in, I said, no, you can put it down now. How would you feel? I would drop it. Yeah. <laughs> Fast. Yeah, quick. It's just, there it goes. Fantastic. Thank you, Tyler. <laughs> Thank you. All right, let's put it down there. Boy, they don't... That's a, guys, that's a golf clap. That's a smattering smattering of applause where someone can be embarrassed because I called them up on the front row. Um, how many remember the fence? We, how many people remember the fence? All right. So um, fences are used to keep unwanteds out and to keep wanteds in. Um, they're generally used to define and mark a territory Um, There's an old saying that says, um, good fences make good neighbors, right? Uh, It means we're going to get along well as long as we both know our boundaries. Um, But the bottom line is that fences are used to separate. So I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to guide us today into and open our hearts into a passage of Luke 17, 1 through 6, and I'm going to read it out of the New King James Version But I do also need to pause and pray now too because this, although it starts as a cute little story here about this fence, it gets real, real fast. 
So Father, in this moment, when a lot of people don't even know what to expect, Lord, I do ask that you would make our hearts tender to receive your word and strong enough to follow your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, here's the passage, and I never read out of the New King James, but I I do today for a specific word. Um, You will know it when I get to it. Um, Then he said to his disciples, it is impossible that no offenses, there you go, wow, I'm going to go ahead and start praying for the 11 o'clock congregation. (laughs) It's impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times in a day returns you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. And the apostle said to the Lord, the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. So the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea and would obey you. All right, first, first part of verse one. It's impossible that no offenses should come. Now it's interesting what he says and what he doesn't say, right? He doesn't say that it's impossible not to pick up offense. He says it's not possible to avoid the opportunity to pick up an offense, right? Big difference. We will not be able to avoid someone doing something, saying something, acting in a certain way that that we wouldn't be offended by. It's not possible. It's going to happen, right? Society has taken offense to a whole new level right now, right? It's at a whole new level. I mean, literally, I've read in one week span, I read of a teacher who addressed her kids as as a group of students in her class as young ladies, and she was fired. And a potential um, candidate um, for a school board, uh, president of a school board, writing a letter addressing to the present school board to ladies and gentlemen, and he was denied the job. We have to pay particular attention now not to get swept up into a culture that easily picks up fences. Um, So this message on offenses and forgiveness matters now as much as it ever mattered, especially even in the first century. So the word that Luke uses uh, for offense is, is the piece in which the bait is attached to. So I used to have an old rusty trap that, that I found in an antique store that I would bring with this message, except now the thing's so old, it's dangerous. <laughs> I, I can't get it to latch. I can't get it to latch where it won't close, right? But, but I wish I still had it. And if you can run one down for me next time I preach this, I'll use it. Because you can say get caught in a trap and you just go, yeah, next piece until you hear the trap. Right? And so there's a, there's, a, there's a piece there, and the bait sits there, and when the bait gets taken off of that, then these jaws come and they catch you by whatever neck 
foot, paw, hand, whatever, right? So, so it's significant. And this is, this is the image that, that Luke is, is drawing up here that Jesus is using. This, this is the image that when we pick up an offense, what we've done is we've taken the bait the Bait of Satan, John Bevere has written a whole book on this. It's an old book, but it's a great book called Bait of Satan. So when we take that, then the trap closes on us, and now we have been trapped by this offense that we've been baited for. Now, so, so Jesus is saying, heads up, Satan is constantly laying traps for you to take you out. And so I thought, well, take me out of what? Well, here's a couple at least. One is to take me out of shalom which would be the Jewish phrase for this wholeness and this peace, right? Is it, is it possible to be whole and peaceful when you are trapped by an offense? No, it's not. Because then you, all of your thinking goes to the pain from where the trap has caught you, right? It's not possible not to do that. So when we have an offense, when we're carrying an offense of someone, it is a trap that keeps us focused on the pain and takes us out of this, this peaceful, spiritual wholeness of shalom. And then I believe that it takes us out of the game around being spiritually influential, which I believe is our spiritual or our real purpose. Because we are, again, we are more focused on the pain that we're carrying than the purpose we should be living. Does that make sense to everyone? All right, what are characteristics of effective traps? There's three. Camouflage right? An effective trap blends into surroundings. I'm a big fan. I, I watch um, Life Below Zero. I don't know if anybody watched that. My wife leaves the room every time I watch this, this show. Of, you'll have to go look it up and make, make your own determination. Um, but, but these guys are trapping. They trap in Alaska as a way to survive. Most of them do that. And it's interesting, the traps, are, they're always, they always blend into the surrounding. All right? Um, the placement. Traps are placed in familiar and frequented places. They will find a um, wildlife trail and they will put the trap on the trail. And then the last piece is bait, right? Bait that's appealing, appealing to the species that they're trying to trap. So the enemy lays out traps for us to be offended and they are well camouflaged, which means that we don't recognize them all the time. They're placed not where we're not going or who we're not with. They're placed where we are going, who we are with, okay? And they're baited with something that I, there is just something innate in us that picks up a bait of an offense. This is a proverb that kind of gives a parallel. Proverbs 18.8 says, the words of a gossip are like choice morsels that go down to the inmost parts. So recognize the parallel. Proverbs is saying is, man, gossip tastes good. And if you don't believe that, next time you, you, you are in a position where you're passing on a bit of information that's not yours to pass on, ask yourself why you're so interested in passing it on. Why is this the first thing in my mind that I want to pass on? Proverbs tells us there's something about it that tastes good, that it, it fills something inside of us that we, we want, although it brings about negative consequences. Um, 
So without tremendous awareness and self-discipline, you can get, I can get caught in the same traps over and over again. Does that, can anybody resonate with that? We can get in these same traps over and over and over again. So here's my first question to you. Are you easily offended? Are you easily offended? Second question everybody can answer. Do you know people who are easily offended? Right? It's something that, that's inside of us, it feeds us. Um, and it's usually, picking of offense usually has to do with some kind of insecurity that we haven't identified or mastered. When we, whatever offenses we pick up, generally deal with some insecurity or maturity issue that we haven't mastered. So I'll give you mine. It is easy for me to pick up an offense around respect. Regardless of where I am or who I'm, who I'm around, if something comes across or feels disrespectful for me, it is so, it's so difficult for me to let it pass and overlook it. And by the way, that would mean be above it. Right? When you overlook something, you're, you're above it, can let it pass. And it's so easy for me to pick that puppy up. So when I look at that, I go, okay, what is, that, what is this saying about me? What, what hasn't, hasn't been addressed in me? Where, where is there some insecurity, some unwholeness, if you will, in me that causes me to so easily pick that up? Um, I, I think we all need to do uh, an offense autopsy. Uh, think about whatever offense you're currently in, I won't have you raise your hand, or the offense, the last offense you were able to move past, what was that about? What was it about? What caused it? Was it the individual, the particular individual that triggered it? Was it around a particular thing that triggered it? What, where did this come from? Because an autopsy of this helps us dissect it, pull it out, and then show us where these weaknesses are. Uh, I've concluded that any offense I pick up inadvertently identifies a crack, breach, or weakness in my identity in Christ and my value in Christ. Leave that up there. Any picked up offense inadvertently identifies a crack, breach, or weakness in my identity in Christ and my value in Christ. I'm leaving that because this is probably new stuff. All right. Um, now, I say inadvertently for this reason. Because the last thing Satan, leave it up, please. The last thing Satan wants to do is help you identify where your weaknesses are in Christ and strengthen them. That's the last thing he wants to do. Okay? His intent is to kill, steal, and destroy. God's intent is to restore and bring wholeness and life. All right? And so when, when, we're, when we're baited and we give in to the bait and we pick it up, if we can, if we can recognize that, then it can point us to this value issue that we have and this identity issue that, that, that I have. But we can flip the script on Satan because he has proven to be susceptible to not seeing a win come out of a loss. Death Friday is always followed by Resurrection Sunday. That's the way our calendar works. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. 
Satan thought he wins on Death Friday. But what do we call that Friday? We call it Good Friday. We call it Good Friday because we know what happened on Friday. But we also know Sunday's coming. Right? And so the, the, the longer it takes me to grab this concept of not picking up an offense and forgiving, the longer it takes me to grab into that, the longer I spend in the tomb. The faster I pick up on that and the faster I operate under that truth, the faster it is for me to be resurrected. Satan continually wants to set traps to erode your God-given value and your identity. Let's don't pick up that fence. All right, so he goes on. But woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea that he should offend one of these little ones. So last week I addressed that the Bible doesn't do cheap grace, little grace, or no grace. That the Bible does costly grace. Okay, costly grace means that we have a God of justice and holiness and simultaneously we have a God of mercy and grace. He doesn't flip back and forth between these two by moods. He, he is a God of justice and a God of grace, all right? So forgiveness, we talk about grace a lot. Here, he speaks to justice. It would be better if, one, if the offender would have been forcibly drowned by tying a large stone around their neck and thrown into the sea. Can anybody get behind that justice? Right? That is a, that is a fierce and intent response to one of his kids being trapped in an unforgiving, unforgiving offense state. And I would say that his intensity of how he's going to deal with this justice is a parallel to his intensity of how much he loves you and me, right? It is, it is, a, it is an appropriate response. It's a just response to something that's been done to his kids, all right? This is a God of justice, and I can get behind justice a lot of times we can get behind justice a lot easier than we can get behind forgiveness, um, all right? Um, and I can live with that kind of justice. Um, Jesus is saying, don't take the bait and pick up that fence. Keep, keep moving and I will deal with the trapper. I'll deal with him. Christians should be the most difficult group of people to offend on the planet. All right, here's two reasons. Our wholeness and identity are found in Jesus, not in what others think, feel, or say about us. All right, I taught you this at Easter. Life-changing belief doesn't come from somewhere inside of you. Life-changing belief comes from someone outside of you who gets inside of you and fills you forever. So we should be the most difficult people to offend because our wholeness and identity is found in Christ, not in what other people say or think. And so when what somebody says or thinks and we get offended by that, that's why I'm saying that it is a, is a mirror on somehow I have not grasped my identity and value in Christ. That there, there, is, there is still a lack in my coming along to understand how much I am loved and valued by God. And I am first in line with that. First in line with that. The insecurity that I will carry has everything linked to, I have not yet, and I've been walking with Christ for over 50 years, and there is still tremendous amount of room for me to learn of my security and my relationship with Christ. Christ. 
And so I know that I'm talking to everybody in the room here. The second reason why we should be the least offendable people is we should understand the instigator behind it. The person isn't your enemy. What do I say here? I say, your spouse is not your enemy. Your boss is not your enemy. Your employees aren't your enemy. You even aren't your own worst enemy. We have a worst enemy. It's Satan. And he has just three objectives for us. Kill, steal, destroy. He'll take any one of those three in whatever order he can have it in, and that's his intent. So then he is the person baiting the trap. That means we are trapped by him, not that individual. So I should be able to stand above all of this and overlook that this is his plan for my demise, and I'm not going to play his game. And I know everything inside of us wants to defend. We want to defend ourselves. We want to strike back. Listen, I am good with words. Boy, they come fast. They come furious. A lot of times they'll rhyme. <laughs> and I mean, I can, I can get after it. So I have to stay off social media. Two reasons. It, it messes with my head. Gina says, I can't hardly read something and feel like I, I, don't, I, can't, I shouldn't respond. I, mean, I feel like I'm the world's fixer, right? And so, and so someone in my feed puts something that I think's off and she sees my hands. No, no, whoa, 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 Backspace, 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 back. So I just, I just stay off of it. I just, I have to stay off of it. Because there's still stuff inside of me that it feeds and I, it, I'm getting trapped, I'm getting trapped, I get hooked, I get banged, bit in the ankle, and so I stay off of it. We should be able to avoid these because we recognize, listen what Jesus says on the cross, right? Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. Have you ever, have you ever dug into that? What is he saying? Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. no. They really didn't know what they were doing, right? I mean, they were good at this, they were good at this execution model. So in terms of just the, 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 the metrics of crucifixion in general, no, they, they knew what they were doing. They, they knew they wanted to end this man's life. So what is he saying? They don't know what they were doing. They did not know they were, they were following in line with what the enemy's intent was. They had no idea about that. They were lost as a ball in tall weeds. And so Jesus, literally hanging above all that, is saying, Father, don't hold this act against them because they, they, are, they are accomplices to something they don't have a complete understanding of. And so what does that tell me? That tells me that if Charles does something and he's trying to offend me, right? Because we know people that try to offend. And then we know people that just walk, we just walk into it. For me to be able to say, he doesn't know, he doesn't know how that triggers me. He, he is playing into this game and I'm not gonna to choose to play. He doesn't even know what this is about. I'm gonna walk away. But I will say that as believers, we're not 
the hardest to offend, are we? So then he shifts in, in uh, verse three, the first part, he says, take heed to yourself. So he, don't pick up an offense. You're gonna have plenty of opportunity to pick an offense. Don't pick it up. Don't pick it up. I will deal with them. I will drown them in water with large stones. So he said, leave that alone. And then his words are very clear. Take heed to yourself. Pay, pay attention to yourself. All right, what, is, what, is, what am I paying attention to? That I need, I need God's help not to make decisions out of pain. Do you make any good decisions when you're hurting? Not many, huh? Do you make any good decisions when you're afraid? When you're afraid? Not many, right? So I need to ask God to help me not make decisions out of my pain. Two, that, that, that I would not be defined by that pain. People all the time, you may be one today, that you picked up some offense somewhere. And I'm not talking about these little things. These can be big things. And it still defines who you are. I need God's resources to be whole from the pain. I can't put myself back together. It hurt too much. I can't put myself back together. And I need God the most to help me forgive the perpetrator of that pain. Take heed to yourselves goes on. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. This one, see, this, this is a pretty good passage of scripture, right? We got someone being drowned by large stones, and then I get to rebuke him, all right? This is the forgiveness passage we all want. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times a day returns you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. So let's first address the idea that we get to rebuke someone. Unfortunately, the nuance of the word in Greek it means to point out their fault, not drill them. It's back to last week. It's having a conversation. It's sitting down with someone and say, listen, when, when you did this, when you did this, I felt this way. When you did this, this is what this did to me. It is a frank conversation had with the person who has offended us. And what did I say last week? That that conversation can clean the air and clear the air, right? It has the opportunity that maybe I mistook something. It gives them an immediate opportunity to say, well, yeah, I guess I meant that, but I don't, I don't mean that now, right? It gives an opportunity right there for forgiveness and wholeness to happen in the relationship for me to move on. And at the very least, it clears the air that now I've had an opportunity to address the person who's offended me without taking, pulling a bunch of people involved into the mix. You'll have to link all three of these messages to get at least the majority of the counsel that the Bible gives on forgiveness. I can't cover it all in three weeks, but you have to piece all these together. And so that conversation gives me the opportunity to rebuke, meaning I'm pointing out the fault of the individual. Now I know in your mind goes, well, what good is that gonna do? Or I'll just take you through my thinking. Well, what good's that do, gonna do? They've already said it, they must have meant it. They already did it, they must have meant it. I'm already hurt. This is just gonna perpetuate the hurt. This is gonna just, I'm gonna flare up again. They're gonna do this again. It's just gonna turn into a fight, so I should just avoid it. Now, who in the world can you imagine are directing those kind of thoughts in your mind? The whole instigator of the event to begin with. Okay? So, 
So we gotta, when I start thinking like that, right, I told you, how do you recognize the tone or who's talking to you? You recognize who's talking to you by the tone. And the father is a graceful, kind tone. The enemy is an accusatory, shameful, bitter tone. So anything that's feeding that, that is not, that is not the father kind of guide you in the situation. All right. So we, we sit down, we don't avoid, we don't avoid that conversation. I have this written on my glass board in my office. Never be afraid of the repercussions of telling the truth in love because one of those repercussions is freedom. So you're like, yep, this could go sideways. Yep, it very well could go sideways. But not because I pushed it sideways. I'm gonna tell the truth. I'm gonna do my best to do this in love, right? Because if I tell you the truth without love, all I've done is punch you back. If I don't tell you the truth, I'm really not loving you because that's saying I'm not interested in this relationship being healed or you being restored because we have no idea what pain and hurt and offense they've picked up causing this towards you, right? So the conversation is what allows that, that, what allows that to heal. That rebuke is what allows that to heal. So what happens, pastor, if that person continues to sin against you, right? What are you, what are you telling me? Well, Jesus is saying here, Every time the person asks for forgiveness, that you are to give it. Now, I, I know some of you are already running names in your head and saying, I am, there's no way I'm entering back into any kind of relationship or dialogue with that person. Okay. I will say that forgiveness is something we've been asked to give. Trust is something that has to be earned. Make sense to everybody? You get what I'm saying? That it is possible for me to leave the offense on the ground and not carry it. That is possible. That is what we're called to do. And at the same time, put enough distance between me and the person if they can't be trusted. They have to earn that trust back over time. This is advice I give to marriage couples all the time. There, there is more offenses picked up between husband and wife than every, any other relationship going. Well, am I just supposed to forgive them and let them keep doing it over and over again? That, that is not what this teaches. That is not what this teaches. That the forgiveness has as much to do with you as it does another person. And then over time, Behaviors that change, trust grows. And generally in a marriage relationship, there's one person that um, easily gets over something, um, and then there's another who, who doesn't. And a lot of times where I see in, in marriage relationships is the husband wants to say, I'm sorry, and move on. I, I didn't hear you, but everybody heard just laughing. So I guess it's pretty funny. Um, and the wife, not so much. I learned this firsthand. I did something. Um, I can't remember what it was, but I'm sure Jeannie can tell you. Uh, I, I did something, and she, knows, she knew my need for closure. Okay? So she said, I forgive you. 
dude, I moved on. Right? I'm on. Three days later, three days later, going to sleep, she rolls over and she gives me a kiss. And I said, what was that for? She said, I forgive you. Whoa, 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 whoa. I thought we did this three days ago. In essence, what she was saying to me, three days ago, I chose, I chose not to hold that against you. Now, three days into it, my heart has caught up to my head. So that's, that's, for, that's the forgiveness that we're called into. I know I'm jumping ahead back there, Caitlin, but that for, forgiveness will always be a decision before an emotion. And that you have to give your heart the opportunity to catch up to your head. But what she did for me, the gift that she gave me was saying, we're going to be okay. Because that's really what I'm asking, right? I'm asking how much damage have I done? I really wish I didn't, but I did it. Now, how is this going to play out? And so what she's telling me is we're going to be okay, but it's gonna take me a few days. See? Forgiveness, so gentlemen, if I can just put it in these gender terms, gentlemen, Give your wives space and time for her heart to catch up. Because you keep coming back and forth time and time again. We okay, we okay, we okay, we okay. It's not helping. It is not helping. She's getting more annoyed by the minute. All right? Give her time. Ladies, ladies, sit down and rationalize this is not going to sink us. I will not allow this to sink us. And give your husband whatever words that is necessary for the moment that I'm not telling you that you have taken them off the hook. But we've read that we can let everybody off the hook and then God deals with his own hooks, right? And, and they are pretty significant. So give them what they need so that you both can move forward together on this forgiveness path and you're not working against one another. Do you, do you realize that? That so many times you work against one another in this process that as one, as one, not two, as one person, that God's trying to bring you in an alignment there to work together on that. And it doesn't mean it didn't hurt. It doesn't mean you have to act like it didn't hurt. It doesn't mean any of those things. It means you're acting as one, even though you both carry your own needs and personalities in this, you're gonna act as one. This is not going to sink us. I am not gonna let it get its clutches in me, but we're gonna have to work through that this doesn't happen like this again. Does that make sense? Amen. All right. So the disciples respond how the disciples respond. They're seeing what he's asking them to do. And the next thing they ask is increase our faith. In Charlie's words, Jesus, what you've asked, to do, asked us to do is beyond what I'm capable of doing in and of myself. That's what it is. What you are asking me to do is beyond my capability to do myself. All right, and then Jesus' response. 
If you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea and it would obey you. Misquoted all the time out of context. All the time and out of context. If you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to that mulberry tree, put it up in the sea and it's talking about something other than forgiveness. <laughs> He's talking about forgiveness. Okay? So if you have just a little faith, a mustard seed side of faith, as it relates to this idea of forgiveness, if you have that, then that amount of faith is enough faith to uproot the bitterness and the hurt and the pain of this other tree and have it thrown away. He uses mustard seed quite a few times. So I did a little dive and nerded out a little bit on mustards. So here we go. The mustard seed is less than two millimeters in size, but it can grow between 20 and 30 feet high. And its canopy is about the same uh, width as its height. So if you can imagine a 20 or 30 foot tree with a 30 foot canopy, that's a lot of coverage, right? From a two millimeter seed. A mustard tree can get to those dimensions in under 90 days. All right, so, so let's, let's not lose sight. If you have the faith of a grain of mustard seed, so look how much it can produce and how quickly it can produce it, okay? That's your correlation. And the mustard tree is a flowering plant. It produces fruit in as, as early as six weeks. So this little faith can produce wholeness and forgiveness in as little as six weeks. The mustard tree is extremely resilient and adaptable. It grows in harsh and arid climates. Is your climate harsh and arid? Early care with weekly watering, watering encourages root uh, deep penetrating um, and water seeking. In other words, because I read that worded weird. Um, if, you can, if you will take the faith given to you and you will pay attention to it and treat it like you would a tender plant, that you give it enough of what it needs early, those roots go deep. They go deep. And they go deep and they seek even more water going deep, all right? And then, um, then we get into some weird ones that I thought was unique. Extracts from the plant are widely used in toothbrushes due to the tree's antibacterial properties which come in handy preventing plaque. So this mustard seed faith can keep stuff from sticking on us. The last one. The fruit and seeds are consumed as nutrient supplements believed to help with hypertension, migraines, rheumatism, and asthma. So faith for forgiveness impacts my health and the, even just the normal functions of my body. So faith starts small, but it grows deep. It grows fast. It provides a wide covering. It produces fruit. So I will say... There is a lot at stake in your forgiveness. There's a lot at stake. Because if you carry, if you carry unforgiveness, I guarantee you, someone, you will pass that on to someone else. You will either pass this spirit of easily offense, offended, you'll either pass that on to your kids or people near you. You carry a, a bitter, a bitterness and a hurt. And I'm not, I am not saying that the actions of the individual were minor or irrelevant. 
I'm speaking about where Jesus says, take heed of yourselves. If you carry that, that will carry on. Has anybody experienced that? Just, just anecdotally here. Have you experienced that someone else has carried something? Maybe it was a, a parent or an aunt and uncle, brother or sister, and you find yourself carrying it too. Is it, would anybody? It, so, so it's true then, right? All right. So what's, what would be the, the, the other side of that's true as well then, isn't it? That when I lay it down, I'm passing on freedom. No one's going to have to carry my mess because I put it down. And the last piece about faith, I don't hear Jesus chastising the volume of their faith. I see him speaking to the usage of their faith. Right, because Jesus makes several references, unless you have the faith of the child. Now, do children have a mature, fully understanding faith? They, they don't, right? It's, it's not possible. But they believe what they believe enough to act on it. This is why I love baptizing kids. Do, do they have a full understanding of the atonement principles of the cross? Do I? Right? But do they have enough to make a decision that they want to follow Jesus? And can that be affirmed in the sacrament of baptism? And the answer is yes. And will they follow out what they know to do Yes, that's childlike faith. So it's, it's not that you have to have this 30, 40 year experience of maturity is what are you doing with what you have? That's what he's getting to. What are you doing with what you have? And we each should have enough to forgive because we have an acknowledgement of what we've been forgiven. That while we were yet enemies to Christ, he forgives us. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And by his very actions on the cross, a Roman soldier at the foot of the cross who no doubt was a principal party in, in putting him on that cross when Jesus finishes his last breath and says, it is finished, this Roman centurion says, surely, he must have been the son of God. There is something that happens to outsiders when they see an insider respond in forgiveness when there will be no societal or cultural reason to forgive. In fact, you have all the ammunition and standing that you need to stand in defiance of that. No, I can stay like this. I can stay mad. I can stay angry. I can stay hurt. I can stay continually trying to inflict pain on you because I, have, I, I am justified in that. And God is saying, leave the justice part to me. I can do justice well. All right, come on up, team. Pastor, I have been hurt too badly to forgive. There is no way I can ever feel another way. Here's three bullets, and I've already kind of mentioned this, but this gives you a slide. Every act of forgiveness begins with the decision, not a feeling. Every act of forgiveness begins with a decision, not a feeling. Forgiveness begins with understanding God's provision 
for it and his call to do it. He's very clear. And then lastly, give your heart time and it will catch up to your head. So Carrie and Shelby Menzies moved to Marietta, Georgia from Mission Vallejo, California, began attending our church in Atlanta. Carrie was a middle schooler. She was 11. Her sister was a junior in high school. They moved to Marietta because um, Carrie and her mom and dad were in a car accident on a, on a canyon road coming back from a um, softball tournament that Carrie was playing in. They were hit head on by a physician who was um, high on prescription drugs and drunk uh, with alcohol, and it was his third instance in that. Um, both her parents died instantaneously. Carrie um, had to undergo a, a massive amount of surgery. There was damage to her face, her head, and her brain. Um, she had to have part of her skull removed to allow for the swelling of her brain. It did not heal properly. Um, she had a sunken place in her head. She was told that she'd never walk again. Um, she did walk again. Jean and I were at her first softball game um, as a high school student, although she could not play competitively. I remember that when she was 12, this would have only probably been maybe nine months after the accident living with, in Marietta, that she had to return to California to testify against the man in the accident. She knew the time would come, but it caused her a lot of anxiety and pain, as you can imagine. We prayed with her a lot. And as she, the night before, the day before she was to leave to go to California, she came to my office to see me and she told me that she had forgiven him and that she was going to tell him as such in the courtroom. This is a quote from the LA Times. Um, we were all, this is a, a, a quote from, from the LA Times after the scene of the, in, in the, the courtroom. You can, you can still look it up and find all this information. So we were all amazed at her attitude. This is a juror. We were all amazed at her attitude. We all wished we were like her, a lot like her and forgive that way. Her testimony had a big emotional impact on us. The man's lawyer said that her testimony was an emotional turning point for his client. It helped him act respons accept responsibility for what he had done. His attorney went on to say he is totally remorseful, but to know that she's not going to spend her life in anger and being embittered also gives him tremendous hope. The girl's forgiveness took away some of the horrible sting he feels. So, well, he deserved to feel that way. Well, definitely he deserved justice, right? And he got 30 years in prison. I tried to find current information. I couldn't because the 30 years would be up this year. Um, Carrie and Shelby handled this in completely different ways. Shelby was older. She blamed herself for not being in the car. And um, it took her down a long spiral. She blamed the man. She held a lot of unforgiveness from where they were. Carrie took a whole different approach, even at 12. Um, lost track of Carrie on and off through the years. We'll get a Christmas card from her. I remember the one that I, we got that said that she was a mom and she was a wife and um, her and her husband was pastoring a church in Oregon. If she'd have taken a different path, would it have turned out that way? She still carries all the scars from all those surgeries. 
much what she doesn't carry. It's unforgiveness. Justice was served. She didn't relish in the justice that was served. It just was, that was justice. That, that's that part of the equation. Her forgiving him for the act had nothing to do with releasing him from the justice that had to come. Pastor, I don't have that kind of faith. Can a 12-year-old really have that kind of faith? Or does a 12-year-old just believe what God says and acts on the little bit she knows? So Tyler, I asked you when you came in, to, when you held the fence, if I gave you the opportunity and you had been carrying it for a month, if you could put it down today, your response was immediately, there's no way I'm carrying that thing if I get a chance to lay it down. And in fact, that is what today ends with. This is a spirit birthed opportunity to put it down. You might think you've been living fine with it, but if you can use this image in your mind to think this is what you've been carrying around and living with, and it impacts everything from brushing your teeth to taking care of your kids, to going to work, to driving to work. You might not think it has an impact on you, but it does. It clouds what you see and who you see it. It puts distance between you and the person you don't even want distance from. It has more impact than you know. Put it down. Stand with me for prayer. <laughs> Communion's available on my right and my left. The altar represents the cross today. The place where you can put down what you're carrying because it's not just an arbitrary throwing it off. What you're doing is you're laying it at the cross. You're saying, I'm not gonna carry this anymore. You've carried it for me. I want you to carry this. That's what makes the altar significant. So when I finish this prayer, I invite you to move to the altar to drop your fence. Holy Spirit, I prayed at the very beginning that um, for you to do the things that you can do, that only you can do, and that this is, not, this is not an easy message. This is advanced discipleship. But you want to free us today. You want to free these men, women, students today. You want to free those watching online today. You want to free somebody today. And their movement, Lord, is their act of faith. In your name we pray. Amen. I invite you to move. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Again, to learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, find us online at gatewayfranklin.com. Thanks for joining us today.